Good afternoon from the top of the Bronx to the tip of Staten Island, from the shores of Douglaston Bay to the banks of the Hudson and right here in the Republic of Brooklyn. It's 5 p.m. and time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the politics, policy, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Hey, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We're happy to be with you today and launching the new edition of Max and Murphy where we've uh, taken our discussion from... The podcast we've been doing for a while now and to the airways of WBAI. It's great to be on here. It is, and this is our 83rd show together, but the first time with anything approaching a professional setup, so it's pretty exciting. On the show today, our first guest will be uh, Letitia James, the city's public advocate and one of the Democrats running for attorney general. We'll talk to her. We'll take her calls, your calls for her, and then come back and hear from Zephyr Teachout, another candidate who spoke to us on our pre-existing podcast a couple weeks back. Yeah, and we'll talk today. The focus is the attorney general race, the Democratic primary, which is part of an election slate that is happening on Thursday, September 13th. So make sure you mark your calendars for that, especially if you're in the Democratic Party. There are a couple other primaries going on, but mostly the action is on the Democratic side in New York City and around the state. And we're gearing up. We're, we're less than two months away from that. So this show is going to focus a lot on election season. Uh, and today we're certainly starting that off with a look at the attorney general race with both uh, Tish James joining us live and a little clip from our previous conversation with, with Zephyr Teachout. Your calls, some discussion with us. And of course, for those uh, not f- scoring at home, also in that Democratic race, are uh, Alicia Eve, uh, former aide to Governor Cuomo and, uh, and a Democratic uh, uh, office holder uh, or official uh, of many stripes, and also Sean Patrick Maloney, a congressman who ran for attorney general actually in 2006. And of course, this is a race, Ben, that we did not expect to be talking about this year. It came about only because of the shocking revelations and almost instant resignation of Eric Schneiderman, who was a lock to be reelected and possibly to seek higher office, but that is not where we are today. Yeah, Eric Schneiderman was the most likely next governor of New York after Andrew Cuomo. I mean, the attorney general position has been a stepping stone to become the governor. We saw that with Andrew Cuomo. We saw that with Elliot Spitzer, of course. Eric Schneiderman was sort of being talked about in those terms. Uh, He was making a national name for himself, certainly, with the way that he was using the New York attorney general's office to fight back against President Trump and things coming out of Washington. And then all of a sudden, allegations against him of domestic violence. And he resigned abruptly, creating this vacuum. And we have now this very competitive, fairly wide open Democratic primary. And then, of course, we'll have a at least somewhat competitive general election after. And folks, remember, in the immediate aftermath of Schneiderman's resignation, there was briefly a thought that there might be uh, uh, an appointment um, of any number of people who threw their hats in the ring, it seemed, within hours to fill the Schneiderman vacancy. It ended up being Barbara Underwood, the state's, uh, up to that point, Solicitor General, appointed by the governor with seemingly basically uniform approval across the spectrum as a very competent uh, public official and one who has expressed no interest in winning the job permanently. Right. There was something of a public relations campaign to have the legislature put her in the position, which was their power, and they said they were going to exercise it. And there was some discussion at the time of them installing a favored candidate, someone like uh, Tish James, who obviously has a lot of allies in Democratic circles. She's been an elected official for a long time, both as a city council member and now as public advocate. Um, but there was there was a lot of public pressure on the legislature because we were so close to an election to put Underwood in the position, 
let her run the office to the end of the year and have a regular election as opposed to there would have still been an election, but not giving someone the power of at least a temporary incumbency. Right. And you know, for folks who remember in the early days of the Spitzer administration, when then state comptroller Alan Hevesy had to resign, it was a different situation. We were talking about the, the full balance of a term, really. That's when the uh, legislature appointed Thomas DiNapoli, I think, over the objections of Governor Spitzer. And DiNapoli has been elected in his own right uh, a couple times. A couple times. Since. He's up for re-election again this year. He's not facing a Democratic primary. We should mention, of course, that this attorney general's race is coming amid a broader, contentious, competitive primary season for Democrats, where we're seeing quite a bit of intraparty fighting, in some ways a little bit of a microcosm or extension of what we saw from Democrats in 2016 in the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton type episode, where you have progressive challengers in a variety of races straight from the top in the gubernatorial race, challenging incumbents and looking to shift the party leftward. And we don't have an incumbent now in the attorney general race, but we absolutely see the governor, the lieutenant governor, and many state senators facing primary challenges from the left. That's right. And obviously, many of these state senators, but not all, are former members of the Independent Democratic Conference. Um, others are also uh, withstanding or might withstand challenges. And of course, we have the governor's race, too. And we are joined now on the line by the city's public advocate and a Democrat running for attorney general, Letitia James. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Hey, Ben. Hey, Jared. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being our first guest. It might be all downhill from here, so your, your timing <laughs> is, is fortuitous. Uh, why don't you tell us, you know, one of the things that is interesting about the job that you're running for is that it really is defined so much by the person holding it. Talk about how you define the job of attorney general and what it will look like if you prevail. So, you know, much like the Office of Public Advocate, it really depends upon the individual. And as you know, we stretch the boundaries in the Office of Public Advocate, and we're going to do the same um, in our role as attorney general. I'm running... Um, to be the people's lawyer, and that will be my guiding principle. Um, and so if a state official step over the line, I will not hesitate to prosecute. If I disagree with a, disagree with a state action, I'll make that abundantly clear. I'll make sure that, that the laws in the state of New York are enforced. I'll make sure that uh, we go after individuals uh, um, in Washington, D.C., who refuse to enforce the law, stand up for the rights of individuals who are marginalized and underrepresented and, and invisible, and... Uh, um, and we'll fight for systematic reforms in Albany um, and uh, all throughout the state of New York. And uh, we'll have unmatched insight into the weaknesses and failings in the government's interactions with its citizens um, because I'm basically a grassroots individual who believes, who brings activism to the, um, to the table. Um, and it's interesting, uh, you know, as a former public defender, as a former assistant attorney general, uh, former staff attorney in Albany, former city council member and now as a public advocate of the city of New York, all of the responsibilities and duties of the Office of Attorney General are embodied in the life and experience of Letitia James. And that's why I believe I'm best suited to serve in this capacity and look forward to serving as the next Attorney General of the state of New York. So a lot of the of the role of Attorney General is defending the state in lawsuits, but also filing uh, active prosecution. It's a blend of the of the two in, in much of the legal work. Uh, how would you balance that? And in some respects, as attorney general, you have to be 
uh, in some ways, the governor's lawyer, the executive branch's lawyer, but then also it is a separately elected position, and there's a lot of expectation that the attorney general is a is something of a check on the executive branch. No, you're absolutely right. So 70% of what the attorney general does is really, it's, it's not in the headlines, it's not sexy work, it's defending state agencies and in defending policies of the governor of the state of New York. That's your mission, that's your job. 20% is affirmative litigation, um, and 10% is advocacy, and that affirmative litigation and that advocacy work I look forward to. And sometimes there are conflicts. There are conflicts with the second floor, as they refer to the governor's office. Um, and uh, in some and in some ways, uh, actions that you take, particularly as it relates to criminal prosecutions and civil prosecutions, like, for instance, the Moreland Act, um, that's subject to the approval of the governor of the state of New York. And so going forward, I would look forward to working with the state legislature to give the Office of Attorney General independent power so you don't have to um, have a approval by the governor of the state of New York to investigate corruption in the state of New York. Um, I don't want to be beholden to anyone. I want to um, follow the evidence wherever it leads um, and uh, want to um, make sure that the Office of Attorney General serves as a check and balance on state government and local municipalities all throughout the state of New York. What would you say to someone who looks at the fact that Governor Cuomo, who polls indicate is likely to be governor if you, uh, along with you, if you if you win the race, he has uh, endorsed you, he's, he's nominated you, he's, he's raising money for you, and then you'll be in the position of being at least something of a, of a check or a watchdog on him. That could, that could be a little awkward. No, not really. Um, and he did nominate me. Um, it was delegates to the state, at the state convention who nominated me. I decided to run for the office of attorney general um, after uh, due deliberation and after receiving and fielding calls from countless number of individuals all across the state of New York. Um, and the governor of the state of New York decided to endorse me because uh, um, he looked over my record and, and uh, he's of the opinion that I am in a position to get things done and I have gotten things done. Um, uh, so there is no quid pro quo and there's no allegiance or loyalty to anyone. The only loyalty that I have is to the rule of law. And have, the rule have, of law, as you know, has been a sword and sometimes a shield. And at this particular point in our history of our country, um, when we find ourselves in very precarious moments, when we are facing what I would argue is a constitutional crisis, um, I think what we need is someone who understands the law, but someone who's not afraid of a fight. And I've been fighting all of my life. And, and just by the nature of who I am, I have been an outsider and someone who's been independent. And we want to hear Let a little bit more about what you'd uh, certainly do with regard to the to what's happening with the federal government, because yeah. as we said in the introduction to the show, that's a lot of where people were looking to and have been looking even after Eric Schneiderman's resignation with Barbara Underwood in the role. People have been looking uh, to the New York Attorney General on such a national stage. But before we dive further into that, um, just on the question of the governor, have you endorsed him as well as he has endorsed you? Yeah, I think I, I endorsed the government, the governor, because of what he has done with regards to the residents of Puerto Rico. Um, I've endorsed him with regards to marriage equality. I've endorsed the governor of the state of New York on economic development, on promoting women's businesses. I've endorsed the governor because we work together on protecting workers. I've endorsed the governor uh, because of all of his work um, related to individuals whose wages have been stolen. Um, and I've endorsed the um, governor uh, uh, because of his leadership. And that's why I've endorsed the governor of the state of New York. There was no quid pro quo. And again, there is no loyalty there. I am in the spirit of 
Shirley Chisholm on Boston on Boston. <laughs> Um, and and just uh, one more on that. The the you mentioned uh, endorsing the governor partly on an economic development. You also mentioned yeah. um, you know certainly going after corruption if you're attorney general wherever it may may be. Um, do you think the the recent corruption trials we've seen in the state's economic development programs, people very close to the governor, do you think that Governor Cuomo bears some responsibility for uh, the you know the programs and practices that he sort of set in place, or or turning a blind eye to some of the behavior that we've seen in state government? So yes, some of the programs were created by um, crafted by the governor of the state of New York, but it really speaks to a larger issue, and that is reform. We need to reform our procurement process in the state of New York. We need to. Uh, have uh, there needs to be more checks and balances on a mega agency, which is a public-private um, agency known as the Empire State Development. Um, and in my prior life as a city council member, I'm the only candidate that's actually sued the Empire State Development in relation to one of the largest development projects in the borough of Brooklyn, and that is the Atlantic Yards um, Arena. And we took that case all the way up to the United States Supreme Court based on an abuse of eminent domain. We sued the governor at the at the time. At the time, it was. Governor David Patterson, but that lawsuit continued under Governor Cuomo. And in fact, I've also sued the Governor Cuomo in regards to the foster care system. I've also sued Mayor de Blasio and Mayor Bloomberg. I've taken them all on, um, and the bottom line is we'll continue to do that. I'm the only candidate who's actually asked that Shelly Silver step down and uncovered the biggest scandal in the city of New York, known as City Time, uh, where we recovered $500 million on behalf of taxpayers. Again, so wherever the evidence will lead, I'm not afraid. Uh, to stand up um, and to take on my role and responsibility and to protect the interest of New Yorkers in the state of New York as the next attorney general. And we'll do that wherever the evidence leads. We're on with uh, public advocate Letitia James, a Democrat running for attorney general. We will, at some point in the next few minutes, turn it over to your calls. If you want to ask a question of the uh, uh, would-be AG, the number is 347-335-0818. Ms. James, I'm wondering, you mentioned the role of law and the importance of it, and it brings up a memory I have of 2006 when when, uh, Andrew Cuomo was running successfully for attorney general. One of his opponents is one of your opponents, Sean Patrick Maloney, and there was a question at that point, because this was before gay marriage was legal in New York State, of what the Attorney General would do if uh, someone sued New York State over the ban against uh, gay marriage, and whether someone like Maloney, who is openly gay, whether he would defend it. And he said that he felt you had to do your job, and that seemed to imply that the Attorney General, contrary to his or her moral and political beliefs, had a sworn duty to defend the state against lawsuits even if it runs counter to those beliefs. How would you approach a situation like that if it came up, if your, your personal moral and political beliefs ran contrary to the position of the state and the thing that as AG you were sworn to defend? Similar to what Congressmember Maloney indicated, um, I have a duty and a responsibility uh, to defend the laws of the state of New York, even if um, they run counter to my personal beliefs. Um, and so I am prepared to defend the laws of the state of New York um, and and we'll do it without hesitation. So we're going to uh, open the phones up to, to your calls for public advocate Letitia James in, in just another minute. Uh, speaking of your, your competition here in the Democratic primary, you mentioned yeah. uh, you're the only one of the four candidates that has uh, taken on such powerful figures and filed filed those lawsuits. Are there one or two other ways where you would say, uh, relative to specific competitors in the race, that you set yourself apart? I think what sets me apart is um, my um, 
my experience and my ability to get things done. And as a public advocate of the city of New York, we have passed more laws than all previous public advocates combined, including Mayor de Blasio, uh, Betsy Gottbaum, and Mark Green. We have resolved over 32,000 constituent complaints um, in an office where we work very closely with law schools all throughout the city of New York. Um, and in addition to that, I've been a leader on the pension board of the city of New York, where I take my fiduciary responsibility important, but I also believe um, that uh, we should not uh, pose risk to retirees and led the way to divest from fossil fuels, um, led the way to divest from hedge funds, and led the way to divest um, uh, from gun retailers um, as part of our um, investment portfolio. Um, I think it's important that we have a leader um, and that we have someone uh, who will continue to speak uh, truth to power in the state of New York and someone who uh, recognizes um, that... Uh, we need to be at the table to tr transform our body politic, uh, to reform the system, um, to put in place um, um, uh, campaign finance reform, banning LLCs. Um, I even support term limits um, as well as ethics, ethics reform, and we need to repeal Citizens United. Um, but I do not want um, to do it um, voluntarily because... Uh, as a woman of color, I would be put at a disadvantage um, because that has always been my Achilles heel, my ability to raise funds. And um, I think if we are all on equal footing, um, uh, it would put me in a better position as opposed to unilaterally disarming uh, me in this process. Well, I think we have our first official listener call in. Hello, you're on Max and Murphy. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from, and give us a brief question. Hello. Hi, you're Are on you the air. Hello. Me? Yes, this is Deanna in Brooklyn, and I I know firsthand how hard um, Letitia James worked for the um, uh, fight against Barclays, the old Barclays shenanigans, and uh, she was amazing. She showed up at every little meeting, and she was really, really good. So I'm proud of her. I'm so proud of her for running. Well, you know? we, we, we have the... The Tish really James fan me. club on the line. Do you have a Do you have a question for the Very for the emotional. public advocate? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I wanted to say that um, this Prococo guy that made the fracking the fracking scheme from Pennsylvania and all these um, terrible energy deals. Um, can we? Is there a way to cut off the uh, fracked gas and try to cut off these pipelines and defund uh, this bad technology? Great question, and I really thank you. I thank you um, for your heartfelt um, statement and position. Um, Atlantic Yards was bigger than politics. It was about taking a stand, um, and a stand that I believe in to this day, and putting my entire career at risk, and taking that case all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and protecting um, individuals who lost their homes um, in that development. Uh, in that development. Um, and so I had to stand up for my community. And even if I stood by myself, we did it. And so I thank you. Um, uh, Mr. Prococo he has been convicted. Um, he will be sentenced shortly. Um, uh, fracking has been banned by the governor of the state of New York, but not fracking infrastructure and pipelines. And so going forward, the Environmental Bureau of the Office of Attorney General um, is there to protect the air, that we breathe, the waters that we enjoy, um, and environmental laws in general. And I think it's really critically important um, that we will have a robust environmental bureau 
and they will be on top of protecting the interests of individuals in the state of New York. Let me also add that as a member of the city council, I was responsible uh, for a number of recycling bills um, in the city of New York, um, and that is why, as a member of the NICES board, the pension board of the city of New York, led the way to divest from fossil fuels and also was concerned, obviously, about the Clean Air Act as it relates to children in public housing in my uh, former district in downtown Brooklyn and Fort Greene, children in Ingersoll and Whitman and Farragut, two children in particular that I had to bury because they could not breathe. And also why I've raised concerns with respect to NYCHA and asked for the resignation of the NYCHA chair because too many children were exposed to lead. So again, if you want to ask a question to Letitia James, the number is 347-335-0818. Uh, public advocate, you were mentioning right before that caller some of your accomplishments in your current post, public advocate, and it, it raises the maybe the obvious question. Uh, it was less than a year ago that voters by an overwhelming margin returned you to that office for four years. What do you say to a fan who's like, uh, geez, I thought we were going to have you till uh, 2020 and, and you're leaving early? Um, you know, does that... Uh, you know, what, what, what happened and uh, why, why are you running out on us? I'm not running out on you. I'm on to another stage, but I'm still going to be involved in the lives of New Yorkers, both in the city and the state of New York. But I think that's a, um, it's a great question. Um, you know, we stretched the boundaries of the law, um, and we sued the mayor, and we sued the governor. And recently there was a case um, where we unfortunately... Um, we received um, bad, I would argue it's bad law from the appellate division, which basically said the Office of Public Advocate um, doesn't really have the ability, the standing to initiate litigation. So they sort of limited our ability to initiate litigation. Um, and um, that was the defense of Mayor de Blasio. Um, and so it sort of um, ham, you know, uh, hampered our ability to represent the interest and defend the, the interests of New Yorkers. Um, and so we decided to um, look at the charter. And as you know, um, working with the Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer and I, we decided to come up with a charter review because the laws in the city of New York, our Constitution, has not been reviewed in over 30 years. And one of the areas that we would like to pursue is looking at the power and responsibility of the Office of Public Advocates so that office can be independent, but most importantly, that office can have the standing and the capacity to initiate litigation against any administration going forward. Yeah, and folks should uh, definitely pay attention to what's happening with the, there's two charter revision commissions. We won't go into all those details. We've been covering that at some uh, detail at Gotham Gazette. Um, but the, the charter revision commission you're referring to is one that's just getting going, whereas one that Mayor de Blasio called is actually close to concluding its work to put proposals on the ballot this fall. The one you were most involved with, uh, more involved with, of course, is is aiming for ballot measures in 2019. So right. if you want to call to talk to Public Advocate Letitia James, again, the number is 347-335-0818. Uh, before we get to any other calls, I wanted to ask you, the again, we don't want to put too much weight on any public opinion polls. The There's a Quinnipiac poll out today that was also taken of just broadly Democratic voters instead of likely primary voters. So I don't want to, again, put too much weight on that. But polls show that you seem to have a bit of a lead, um, but that the race is also pretty wide open, uh, that a yeah. lot of people don't know yet. They don't know enough about the candidates. They haven't made up their mind. As you look to the less than two months until primary day, how do you assess 
where the path is heading. And I have to also ask, as part of that, there seems to be this big sort of progressive wave happening within the Democratic par- Party. And are you a little bit worried that that, that energy is more behind uh, one of your competitors, Zephyr Teachout, than, than it is you? Or is that something that you think you're, you're staking a claim to as well? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not going to abandon or surrender any of my progressive credentials to any any of my opponents. I refuse to do that. Um, I think I carry the progressive banner, um, and uh, I will stand and defend my progressive credentials against any opponent uh, on any day in any moment. So I'm not I'm going to share that space with anyone. Um, and you're right, polls mean absolutely nothing. Um, and so I'm not taking anything for granted. We saw what happened in Queens. Um, and we did see a progressive wave, and we did see more millennials come to uh, the voting booths, and that's great. That's great for democracy. Um, but I also understand that uh, as someone who is from the grassroots and as someone who continues to walk these streets and talk to individuals, um, that uh, I sort of understand the heartbeat in New York City, and I'm beginning to learn more about the heartbeat of New York State. And as a result of that, I'm confident um, that come September 13th, that I will be the next Attorney General of the State of New York. So we have just a few more minutes with Public Advocate Letitia James. We're going to turn it over to our next caller. You're on the air on WBAI. Who's this and where are you calling from? Hi, Letitia. My name is Kathy, and I'm calling from Massapequa. But I'm a therapist who works with um, parents with children that are either on the spectrum or with the learning disability. And I have encountered two cases where the parents were in a situation where they couldn't find housing. And they were told to go to their off- the office of uh, social work, I guess, social services. And they were both denied housing. Um, so, but, in, but because of that situation, they could not enroll their children into school mm. for the next year. So I just wanted to know what's with the bureaucracy and what can be done to help. By the way... Um, the, the patients that I'm talking about, they live in uh, New York City, Queens. So um, I, I hear your answer and how could, who should I direct them to? And I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. So I had a difficult time hearing her question, but I think it, I think it, the question was with regards to children on the uh, autistic spectrum. If I'm not mistaken, was that the question? And what can um, That's right. Some system? difficulty finding housing. Services and housing especially. Right. So, as you know, um, you know, we sued uh, this administration with regards to disabled children um, who were required to get certain services, um, uh, and we were successful in one of our lawsuits um, in getting some relief for autistic children. I also attended a breakfast this morning where we were talking about the difficulty of getting um, educational services to children on the spectrum as well. Um, and so... I understand that this is uh, not only an issue in the city of New York, but all throughout the state of New York. The caller was from Massapequa, and what we need to do is make sure um, that state government and local municipalities um, are not making it difficult for parents to get services for children that they are entitled to under the law, and specifically um, for disabled children, children without a voice, children who are nonverbal, children who require occupational therapists and vocational therapists, um, and speech therapists, it's really critically important that we um, hold hold them accountable. And as the next attorney general, I plan on doing that. 
we have only a couple minutes left, and uh, Madam Public Advocate, I wanted to ask you about an important part of the AG's role, kind of a newish part, which is to investigate cases of alleged overuse of force, excessive force by police departments in the state. And I'm curious, the Shahid Vassal shooting of a few months ago has faded from the headlines, but there have been requests by some advocates and activists for the NYPD to produce a more full showing of videos and other evidence, including officers' names in that case. Do you feel as though they have been, the NYPD has been forthcoming enough with that information in the wake of that shooting? So as you know, um, I was led the way in the city of New York for body cameras for NYPD, again, to provide more accountability and more transparency. And because uh, police officers also, uh, body cameras would provide them uh, with some objective overview of street encounters. It was in the aftermath of the Eric Gardner case um, and yesterday, again, I joined with others in, in urging uh, justice for the Garner family. Um, and um, the, uh, I was also uh, had written a letter to Eric Snyderman and reminded him uh, uh, or alerted him um, as to his ability uh, to investigate police um, abuses um, and police deaths and worked uh, very closely with this administration um, to have the governor point the attorney general um, as a watchdog or as someone who can investigate um, deaths um, as a result of police interaction. Um, and so we take that responsibility very seriously. Um, as you know, I did go to court seeking the grand jury minutes in the Eric Garner case. I believe in justice. I believe in justice for uh, individuals um, whose rights have been violated. Um, and I believe that all individuals should be held accountable and that includes, but it's not limited to members of the police force, as well as members um, who are public elected officials and all individuals who are in a position of service. Um, it's really critically important that um, we restore confidence um, to all communities, um, that uh, individuals uh, who uh, enter into public life um, are there to serve. Do you, uh, I'm sorry, do, do you think the NYPD needs to release more in that particular case of the, the Vassal shooting? So I, be, I believe we should, I'm concerned, obviously, about the release, and we have written letters to um, NYPD um, about video, um, and that tapes really need to be released, and, um, and that there needs to be some standards in place uh, with respect to uh, the release of videotape, uh, um, and individuals should be able uh, to FOIL information, and that it needs to be released in a timely basis, and it should not be subject to the discretion of the police commissioner. Well, we are going to leave it there with public advocate Letitia James, Democratic candidate for attorney general uh, in the lead up to the September 13th primary. We appreciate the time. We hope to have you back before primary day and uh, best of luck. And best of luck to you on your maiden voyage. Um, I hope you get great ratings and I look forward to coming back again. Thanks very much. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Thank you. So we're back on Max and Murphy here on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Coming to you from Brooklyn, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, joined by Ben Max of Gotham Gazette. And uh, Ben, what did you? What were your impressions from Letitia James? 
I thought it was an interesting interview. You know, she um, certainly wants to thread a line of being both sort of the experienced, uh, somewhat, you know, you might say establishment candidate. She's got the backing of the governor, the state party, et cetera. She's got lots of labor union support, elected officials, but also still wants to be tied to her roots as more of a progressive insurgent. You know, she she mentioned that as her background, that she's not ceding progressive ground to anyone. I don't know if she can do that in this current atmosphere and with someone like a Zephyr teach out in the race, but she's certainly trying to blend her background, her experience, which she has plenty of relevant experience for the job of attorney general for sure, um, with that, you know, strain of activism. Yeah, I mean, her history, of course, goes back to 2003 when uh, Councilman Davis was assassinated in the city council. She won a very tough special election against the late Councilman's brother without the backing of the party as a working families party only candidate. Uh, one election, one re-election a couple times, and uh, then to public advocate, um, as she said, without necessarily raising a lot of money. In this race, though, it seems like it's hers to lose, if one could say to this point. You know, she's well ahead in the polls. She has institutional backing and and money. And so it will be interesting to see how she plays it and also just how the game is played between now and September 13th. You know, this is um, a race where I'm not not sure how much there'll be in the way of televised debates, uh, how the candidates will attempt to distinguish themselves from each other, a question you have. Right now, the latest Q poll is that some 42% of voters are undecided. That's That's a pretty big pot. There's a lot of race left in a very short period of time. We just saw fundraising numbers come in. Tish James has over a million dollars in the bank ready to go. Now, Sean Patrick Maloney raised a bunch of money, and he also says that he can use this millions of dollars that are in his congressional campaign account. That's not completely clear if he can do that. He's actually running for both re-election to Congress and in this attorney general race at the same time. There are questions around whether he can do that. Um, so maybe we'll have to have him on and ask him some questions uh, about about what he's doing there. But Tish James has some money in the bank. Governor Cuomo will clearly help her raise more. Uh, if she's the favorite in a race, that helps bring the money in because people want to be on the side of the winner. Uh, but Zephyr Teachout raised a good bit of money as well, not quite nearly as much as James, but she got a lot of small dollar donations. And going back to sort of my question to Tish James about the progressive energy, is she worried about that being with Teach Out? You know, clearly in my question, I I think it would make sense if she was worried about that a bit. And this is a race not to talk about pure politics for too long, but this is a race that reshuffles the local political scene. Tish James was considered one of the four or five sort of early leading candidates to be the next mayor of the city, or at least an important candidate for that. Uh, if she wins attorney general, or even if she doesn't, uh, this reshuffles that board quite a bit. So it's a race that has uh, those implications. And of course, if she wins, that will vacate the post of public advocate, necessitate a special election there. Lots and that could <laughs> necessitate other special elections. But speaking of Zephyr Teachout, uh, Ben and I spoke with her on the podcast a few weeks ago. And uh, we won't play you the whole thing. You can look for that online. But we'll play you a segment that we think is uh, interesting in light of what we just heard from Tish James. And then we'll come back and talk about it. And, and after we come back and talk about it, we'll also take a couple more of your calls to chat with us about either the attorney general race or other things in New York politics, public policy, government that you want to talk about. Uh, But first, here's a few minutes of our conversation last week with Zephyr Teachout, one of Tish James's competitors in the attorney general primary. Outside of the realm of corruption, Mm -hmm. is the AG supposed to be a check on the governor's power? Do you see that as a function of the job? It's an independent voice. So um, 
uh, in the corruption area, that's important. But it really, again, it's an elected office in New York. And by constitutional design, we wanted to split those authorities in New York. Unfortunately, what's happened, um, both because of um, the characters involved, including Andrew Cuomo, who's very much focused on um, gathering power in the executive branch in lots of different ways, um, because of the budgeting process and the three men in the room process, we've seen this incredible concentration of power in the executive branch in New York. And um, that has led to corruption, legal and illegal. We see an example of the illegal form of that this summer in the Cagliaros trial. Um, you know, I'm a student of history, so uh, one of the things the uh, writers of our Constitution were really wary of is the ways in which concentrated power tends to lead to corruption. So to answer your question, um, yes, um, you know, be, a, be an independent voice on transparency, which is so critically important. Be an independent voice on, you know, one thing I care a lot about is um, uh, criminal justice reform and police transparency. Be a voice on saying all, uh, you know, when there's a police shooting of a um, civilian, we should know the names of those shooters within 48 hours. That's what Las Vegas does, and then release all records within 72. There's some areas, in other words, where the attorney general doesn't have direct jurisdiction, but I think when it comes to corruption, voting rights, and criminal justice, I still think it's part of the job to use that platform to say, I represent, you know, the uh, aspiration of justice in this state, and we can't have justice without voting rights, without criminal justice reform. I wanted to ask a little bit more about that because, as you said, the role of the attorney general has has a lot of different elements. We didn't right. even touch on a number of them, but um, one is to defend the state right. in lawsuits, yeah. and the other is to is to file lawsuits that you know we as at least as we've seen with Governor Cuomo and Attorney General Schneiderman, and now even with Attorney General Underwood. Are, are in concert between the attorney general and the governor. Uh, how, you know, how do you uh, navigate that if you're attorney general and, let's say, Governor Cuomo is reelected, mm -hmm. given all the criticism that you've thrown at him both in the last several months, but also obviously you ran against him four years ago in a primary? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it'll be the same whether it's Governor Cuomo or Governor Nixon. Um, you know, first of all, I'm very easy to get along with. <laughs> Um, but second of all, and I, you know, I spoke to former, former Attorney General um, Bob Abrams about this question. He's available to talk to any of the candidates, but was quite helpful on talking about this. And sometimes you get along with the governor, sometimes you don't. But the truth is, 98% of the time in the cases where you're representing the state, you're going to be in concert. However, as he said in his Crane's article about what to look for in an Attorney General, you need to also have that independence. Um, because it, the Attorney General's office can't be either perceived as or be an arm of the executive branch. Um, so I'm not concerned about you know, smooth operations. And just quickly, yeah. it seems to me like you've um, measured your language a little bit more as you're running for Attorney General with regard to Governor Cuomo, you know, being a little more careful about sort of alleging 
nefariousness by saying, you know, he's concentrated power, he's not necessarily on trial himself, but his close aides are. I mean, am I wrong? Is, is Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and I mean I'm, I'm very much focused on the Attorney General's race, but I am um, uh, unbelievably disappointed with the failure to have a Democratic Senate, with the closure, alleged closure of the Moreland Commission, which I think is a real stain on New York government. Um, uh, I want to be very clear. I think what you may be asking about is, some, you know, somebody asked me if he committed a crime, and I, you know, I'm not going to be alleging crimes. Um, I think it's very important not to be alleging crimes. But there's no question that there's a culture of corruption in Albany, and that Andrew Cuomo has both promised to do something about it in 2010, and not only not done something about it, but encouraged instead a culture of secrecy. Um, Jay Cope is just one example. Um, uh, should I explain what Jacob is? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, yeah. Right. I want to ask about an issue where I think maybe the, the Attorney General's bully pulpit role is what's uh, relevant, which is ICE and the immigration yes, story that's yes. playing out. Uh, in your call, as many have, to abolish ICE. Yes. Um, as a ponytailed college student in the 90s, I remember marching against the Clinton era immigration yep. changes, and there the enemy was INS, which was detested by people who had loved ones who were not documented. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know ICE is a different creature. Maybe it is worse. But what do you see replacing ICE with? Or is abolishing ICE a call for some form of open borders? Yeah. Well, I want uh, to tell you a little bit about my own background on this issue. In, in 2010, you may recall um, Arizona passed a law called SB 1070. Um, this was the law that... Uh, said uh, that police officers should stop people that looked quote-unquote suspicious. Um, I actually went to a rally in Foley Square (laughs) and really tried to think about what I could do to stand up against this, which we now see was not the, certainly not the beginning. We have a long history of racism in this country, but um, an early move in what we've now seen is um, incredible use of um, federal government in racially discriminatory ways, having ICE inside our states, stopping people asking, show me your papers, which is really degrades liberty in our country for all of us, for all of us. So I flew to Arizona and spent the summer in Arizona working with activists there. Um, I actually went to several uh, Joe Arpaio events, got kicked out of a Tea Party rally that Arpaio was at with the lawyer, Randy Paraz, uh, delivered a lawsuit against Arpaio for his own actions. And what you could see there in Arizona in 2010, you're now seeing on a national level, which is um, the use of these federal agencies in a cruel, lawless, arbitrary, and racist way. Here's the problem. This is how these agencies were designed that um, by putting ICE and CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, within the Department of Homeland Security, where executive power is at its very peak, where our ability to question decisions um, is at its uh, nadir. Um, Folks may not realize this, but our questions about, uh, you know, real concerns, I, I um, about ICE are also related to the mu- recent re- Muslim ban Supreme Court decision, which held wrongly that we shouldn't question the motives, even if they're racist motives, of the executive branch when it comes to matters of national security. 
So by placing I, uh, placing any kind of immigration policy within national security, we're um, insulating it from a lot of aspects of law. It's become a rogue agency. Um, uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of confusion around the relationship between CBP and ICE, um, uh, but uh, there's some basic principles. We should abolish ICE, and there's some basic principles that we should follow in thinking about how to um, enforce immigration policy. And then, of course, this is all in the backdrop of Congress um, grotesquely kicking the can down the road and not actually um, passing comprehensive immigration reform. But if Congress isn't going to act, we shouldn't then say, well, Congress isn't acting, therefore we should have a lawless agency. No, we should abolish the agency. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. This is Max and Murphy. Today we've been talking with Attorney General Candidate Letitia James, and then you just heard a clip of our conversation with Attorney General Candidate Zephyr Teachout. They are two of the four Democratic candidates for Attorney General in this year's primary, and we're hoping to have their competition also on the show. So, Jarrett, we've talked with Letitia James today. We heard from Zephyr Teachout last week. What are your thoughts on what she had to say? Well, just to piggyback on what we were talking about before we went to that clip about Letitia James sort of being the establishment candidate, uh, Zephyr Teachout is the flip side of that. I mean, she is the insurgent's insurgent. She ran against Andrew Cuomo in 2014 and, you know, posted a respectable uh, finish in that primary, um, stirred up a lot of trouble with the Working Families Party <coughs> and the governor. Um and uh, now she is, uh, I would not say as much of an outsider, but certainly um, one of the uh, sort of challengers, I think, to James in the in the race. And her position, I think, reflects that, or or, or her position in the race is reflected by her policy stance, is much more willing to call out what she sees as a culture of corruption. Uh, one thing I think is interesting, you know, the answer that uh, Tish James gave vis-a-vis uh, -vis corruption was about reform, uh, structural changes. Uh, here, Teach Out talks about uh, Andrew Cuomo and the culture of corruption. Interesting approach to you know how change is made in government, how much of it is about the levers of power, and how much is about people uh, pulling and pushing it. And I guess you could apply the same question to ICE. Is the problem the structure of ICE, as she suggests? And I think probably the most cogent explanation I've seen of that of that position that we need to abolish it. Or is it about the president at the top of this immigration infrastructure who's who's pushing buttons and pulling levers? You can hear from Zephyr Teach Out. There's virtually no hesitation to sort of go after who she wants to go after, and and she is running certainly the campaign furthest to the left that we've seen so far in this attorney general primary. But she's also, you know, she by virtue of not having a lot of establishment support, or you know, she is not necessarily doesn't have to worry about who she might offend or what toes she might step on, and that's a very advantageous place to be now. Does it make up for the advantages that someone like Tish James has or even someone like Sean Patrick Maloney has being a current member of Congress uh, with a base and with fundraising prowess and, and such? That remains to be seen. But she teach out certainly has advantages in terms of how she's able to run the campaign. And we've even seen her repeatedly say, I'm calling on my opponents to join me in not taking corporate money or calling on the governor to make certain proclamations such as, uh, you know, giving the attorney general power to, you know, make criminal investigations as a blanket issue, something Andrew Cuomo wanted when he was attorney general, but has not granted the attorney generals under him. 
Interesting, and uh, also we are still open for phone calls at 347-335-0818. And what's fascinating about that point, Ben, is that, you know, there are a lot of candidates who who take that route, either uh, for strategic or for reasons of their beliefs. And then when they're elected, they have to dial it back a bit because governing requires compromise or is, is deemed to require compromise. The position of attorney general actually would afford you the ability, if you wanted, to continue to be the kind of annoying outsider. Um to a point. I think there was a point where Eric Schneiderman and Andrew Cuomo hit loggerheads and there was a debate about the um, use of bank settlement funds and who was getting control of that. And I think after that, there was uh, some more effort to be have a little more friendship between yes. the two. Uh, so there's a limit to it, but uh, but it is part of the job, I think, if you want to, to kind of set the agenda yourself and go your own way and not necessarily worry about whether you're pleasing legislators across the state or the person in the executive office. And before we get to a call, that that is certainly has one parallel to the position of public advocate. And we've absolutely seen uh, Tish James in that role go out there on certain issues. She's pushed the body camera issue. She's filed a bunch of lawsuits. She passed, she didn't mention, I don't believe, but she passed legislation to ban the asking of salary history in uh, job applications, a huge accomplishment that she's been celebrated for in the city. Um, However, as public advocate, she has not been sort of on the bully pulpit calling out the mayor on issues and, you know, really being a thorn in the side. And, you know, you have to sort of read the tea leaves that she probably wouldn't be that type of attorney general relative to a governor that she mostly agrees with. Let's go to our public. You're on WBAI. Who are you and where are you calling from? Uh, Ray Sturrett calling from New York, from Manhattan. Um, Really, as I was listening to you, you both, you really touched on a, a lot of the pros and cons with Letitia James. I, I think Letitia James is uh, your standard run-of-the-mill uh, political individual who's done some things, you know, just the community is grateful, but for the long term and for what I think politics in the city and this country needs, we need different leadership. We need people who are just like Zephyr Teachup, not afraid to go against the machine, not afraid to go against the senior politicians, not afraid to speak out. It's time is up for these people who want to be in public office, to be in public office, to to benefit from public office, to have some personal desire to be recognized. I'm not saying that if that may be a, an unfair attribute for Letitia James, but there's a whole lot of people like that out there who are running and who think that it's just the coolest thing to run now. And they really don't understand the depth of of the issues, the seriousness of of what's going on in society. Um, I think they're they're focused on very silly surface issues and not really willing to fight and stand up and change the structure. Zephyr Teacher takes it upon herself to go out to uh, Phoenix to, to Arizona to advocate uh, to see what's going on to expand her knowledge her experience that no you know that's that's something you don't see or hear when you interview these candidates and that's just caller I'm curious you know that's a that's a common argument obviously a valid one the one thing that you hear people who 
are or who support more establishment candidates is, look, when it comes to the job of governing, it's handy to have been on the inside and see how change is made. Um, that if you want to achieve something, you do need to know how the levers of power work and, and be able to have some of the give and take. Uh, it, it's not maybe a satisfying argument, but it is one you hear. And the fear would be that someone like Teach Out not having that would have a tough time getting lasting change as, as AG. What do you think about that argument? You hear that over and over again, multiple generations, many years. Oh, the experience piece. That's why we need to stay with this this politician. But we need statesmen. States, we need leaders. We, we don't need these politicians who, and let, let, who and are just so obvious. Let me ask you quickly, and, and we appreciate the call, in the gubernatorial primary, who are you supporting? Do you believe that Cynthia Nixon is qualified to be governor? I think that Cynthia Nixon, there are many people like Cynthia Nixon who don't have to be, and if you go in history, most of these great, quote-unquote, politicians or elected officials that we read about and we tell stories about, uh, these people were not the classic uh, experienced politicians that we now think that we have to elect time and time again. Uh, You're not, or we are not, as a community or as a population... Uh, we shouldn't be afraid to uh, elect people with passion, uh, people with integrity. That's the problem. We're, we're, we're reaching for low-hanging fruit for what we think are uh, uh, candidates that have this absolutely essential experience, and that's garbage. There are many... Thanks for the call. That's, uh, I think, a good set of points. And one thing that I was thinking of, and this this is one of those sort of um, theoretical, esoteric questions we wrestle with sometimes on Max and Murphy, <laughs> which is that, you know, one of the things that I would wonder if I if I could if I could get honest answers is, do does Letitia James, Zephyr Teachout, the others running, do they see Attorney General as their high water mark, or do their ambitions run beyond that? Um, you know, Zephyr Teachout has run for governor before. I think largely as a protest candidate, whether she would seriously consider that again, I don't know. Tish James, you could certainly see having her eye on that. With a job like attorney general, similar to public advocate, it could be a stepping stone. Um, but it's being a stepping stone could could help or could prevent it from being as good a check balanced lawyer for the people as it as it might be. Right. I think that once people elevate in politics, um, even if they're not planning to run for higher office, that almost immediately goes out the window once they've gotten a taste of the next highest office. We sort of saw an interesting example of that with City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, who, upon becoming Speaker, basically said, I'm never running for mayor. And then within a couple of weeks of being Speaker, said, well, you never rule anything out. And now he seems to be very much right there angling for that next highest job. Um you know, I think that what we're looking at in this attorney general's race, what we're looking at in this gubernatorial race is a very interesting test for this moment in politics with Donald Trump as president, both in terms of these questions of outsider versus insider, qualifications, telling it like it is, uh, you know, whether voters want someone with experience or someone with passion and who wants to shake up the system. Uh these are very interesting questions for for Democrats, especially right now, as we see in the primary questions around Cynthia Nixon, as I asked the caller, qualified or not to be governor. Her answer repeatedly to this question is, I've been in advocating in policy. I have leadership skills. I have the right values. And 
if you think that Governor Cuomo's experience has led New York in the right direction, then, you know, maybe I'm not the candidate for you. I mean, a lot of experience doesn't necessarily get results. That's sort of the argument of of folks on the outside. So we're coming to the end of our first uh, episode of Max and Murphy here on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Uh, ben from Gotham Gazette, GothamGazette.com. Uh, what uh, what stories are you are you guys following over the next few days? Well, we've been certainly looking at the fundraise uh, the fundraising numbers that have come in from state level candidates. We did one quick story on sort of the statewide candidates uh, and. We're going to be digging a little bit deeper into those fundraising numbers. These are the first big filings of this election year on the state level. We've got, as we've talked about already on the show, we've got less than two months till primary day. And we want to look where are candidates getting their money from? Uh, who does that mean is supporting them? Who might they quote unquote owe when they get into office? Are there any alarm bells that should be going off about where donations are coming from, how much people are giving? Folks in New York City should realize that at the state level, the donation limits are extremely high, uh, especially compared to New York City, which has a public matching system. The state does not have that system. So you're talking about some very big money coming into these state candidates right from the top, Governor Cuomo, who has over $30 million in his campaign account. And that's after spending about $5 million in the in the last few months. Those are the right questions to be asking. Ben, we'll be asking questions on citylimits.org of Adanis Rodriguez, the council member from Inwood, Washington Heights, about the looming rezoning there. And uh, looking at some of the state Senate races that we mentioned at the top are making this a very interesting campaign season. But we are coming to the end of our first episode of Max and Murphy. Thanks very much to Ben and to Reggie behind the metaphorical glass. You're listening to BAI. We're back every Wednesday. Keep listening and keep calling. Thirty-three cents a day. Not much, is it? Loose change. A third of a cup of coffee. It's nothing. But did you know that 33 cents a day can help WBAI stay on the air? That's all it takes. As little as 33 cents a day. $10 a month. You can be a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy is someone who signs up to make a recurring monthly donation to WBAI using either a credit card debit card or by electronic fund transfer from your bank account is safe secure and easy and it helps keep our unique alternative and diverse programming on the air you'll get a wbai membership card and other goodies sign up online go to wbai.org and click on donate all the details are right there the wbai buddy be one today Hi, I'm Wuyi Jacobs, host of Afrobeat Radio, where we discuss politics, current affairs, music, arts and culture from an African perspective. Now on Wednesdays, 10 p.m. to midnight, I invite you to join me every third Wednesday of the month, beginning August 15th, to a live audience broadcast event from 9 p.m. to after midnight at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue, featuring dance, music, 
food and beverages, interesting topics, innovators, and pop-up markets. To participate, visit www.afrobitradio.com and click on connect or look up hashtag afrobitradio. It's going to be fun. All right, and once again, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online. The previous program was the inaugural program called Max and Murphy that will be heard Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Stay tuned for a truncated version of Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. But before we go there, I just wanted to remind people once again that you have the opportunity right now to become a financial sustainer to this radio station. What I mean is to become a BAI buddy. You can find out more information about that by calling 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org on the web. All right, it's now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for Democracy Now!